There's a lot of talk about deconstruction these days and what happens when your church is the place that is no longer comfortable. What do you do? Our guest today says it's time to look beyond your church to the church. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 312, Tracy Rhodes and the Firm Foundation. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. I'm glad you have joined us. Thank you so much. This is always a deep honor, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, today, friends, I, I mentioned we have, we're having some return guests, and so I don't always do this. I don't know if our guest knows this, but um, I... I but occasionally, and this year, I just want to have some deeper conversations, go beyond the spiritual journey. Those those are stories I love to tell and to hear, but there's more to it sometimes. And so we're we're doing a few of those this fall, especially. So our guest, she was with us on episode number 262. She's an author, Bible teacher, writer, listener, follower of Jesus. And if you remember, one of the things we talked about was church unity, church history, reading the words, so all those things. Her new book is called Shaky Ground, What to Do After the Bottom Drops Out. We'll talk all about that. Our guest is Tracy Rose. Tracy, welcome back to Halfway There. Yeah. You know, Eric, I've been looking forward to this. So thank you. Thanks for having me again. Me, me too. You've been very kind, but what our <laughs> friends don't know is we had to reschedule because I got COVID at the Deaf Lover concert, but that's that's all right. I'm so glad that uh, you've been patient with me. I'm glad to have this conversation. Uh, so Let's let's dive in. So you're what have you been up to? Kind of like I don't know, 262 episodes. That's like a year ago. So what uh what what have you been up to and kind of what's been going on with you? Well, I wrote a book. You wrote a book, <laughs> in, yeah. In that year. It actually was about a year's amount of time um from the time the contract mm. was signed. Uh personally, um, I have a young lady who has started her freshman year of high school. I have um, wow. an only child. And so, yeah, we're, so we're navigating the, you know, the school's way bigger and now she has to go upstairs and downstairs and um, just, <laughs> you know, every, everything is big when you're a freshman um, girl. <laughs> so we're, we're navigating that. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, just, you know, kind of continuing to uh, spend some time, spread messages on social media. Um doing a number of different um, writing projects uh, ha have come up in the last year. So you, you never know what will come your way and that's all exciting and good. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Did you, that come about because of some of your, because you published your, your first book or your, what you've been doing on social media or what's, where are you getting opportunities from? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've been writing online since 2014. And a big part of that is reading other people's work and interacting. Um, you know, a number of the friends I've made on social media also happen to be authors. And so I do mm -hmm. think, um, you know, sometimes that's where those opportunities come from. Actually, um, I wrote an Advent book, a reflection book for my church. So it wasn't um, a, a project of mine. They asked me to do that last year. And that has led to a few opportunities um, as I've kind of gotten into more of the devotional reflection type pieces. So yeah, you never know where the opportunities are going to come from, you know, um, who, who you're going to meet along the way, but it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. 
Okay, well, let's dive in to uh, some of the things that you talk about in the book. So the book, again, is Shaky Ground, friends. It's it's out, I believe, right? Yeah, it's July. out in mm-hmm. where, wherever you are. So um, you can go and get that at Amazon, Shaky Ground, what to do after the bottom drops out. Tell us what you were kind of, what inspired you to write it and, you know, what you were hoping people would get out of it. So after I wrote um, Not All Who Wonder, Spiritually Are Lost, that book kind of dives into um, my own personal church journey, learning about different church traditions and how God kind of raised up a passion in me to do that. Uh, It also shares the story of 16 other individuals or portions of their church story. So that was very heavily kind of the starting journey of realizing, wow, we have this tremendous treasure in the body of Christ that's that's so varied and so historic and like the same, not the same as scripture, similar to scripture, you won't reach the bottom of it. You know, I mean, there's just depths to, to explore. And so I want to, can I say something about that real quick? Because I think sometimes what what I took from your story er earlier was, I love that because there's so much depth to the spiritual, the, the different traditions, right? There's so much, um, and you're right. You can't exhaust them all because they're, because there's so much. I think we get a little hung up sometimes on the doctrine, right? Because we want to have the right doctrine and we, well, if I, if I engage that practice, maybe I'll be led astray when really there's some, there's something deeper there. If you engage it in the, in the right way, right? Right, right. I, I liken it to, um, we have our foundation, right, that we get in our local church that we get from our personal time in God's word from the various teachers in our own um, life, like the, the foundation is essential and so important. But what I have found is from there, a curious mind serves me better than an arguing one, <laughs> I guess I would say um, a, a very simple example. Uh, I grew up in uh, the Southern Baptist tradition, and we always, always baptized believers baptism, right? And, and full immersion. And if you would have asked me as a teenager, you know, what do you think of infant baptism? I would have said, well, it's wrong. That's what, that's right. what that would have been my answer. And then as life um, has it, I ended up in the reformed tradition, which is a part, which I am a part of now. And pretty early on, maybe the first six months we were there, our pastor did a sermon on infant baptism and what that signifies in the reformed tradition. Um, It's certainly understood differently across traditions. And then I had a child of of my own Mm -hmm. and had to, in real life, face am I going to baptize her as an infant or am I going to wait? And what does my tradition do? I did a ton of reading because like I said, a very curious person anyway. And today, if you were to ask me where I stand on baptism after a personal journey, tons of reading, walking through this exploration of different church traditions, I would say that is very spirit-led. And I would say Mm. I could make a pretty convincing argument 
for both sides, um, scripturally, not just Tracy's opinion. Um, and so you do, you reach that point and not everything. There's still some things that I hold as this is how I understand the Bible, but I can better listen to the person who says, I understand it a little differently. And we can actually have a conversation that's often edifying for both rather than we have to walk away because you're right and I'm wrong. And I think, I I mean, what a lesson for so many conversations that we have today, right? Um, I have found that that curiosity that I have developed has served me well in lots of arenas. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's one of the things that's definitely missing from our, our national conversation, uh, for sure, uh, whether it's politics or just even people we don't agree with or who, who, whose lifestyles we we are different than ours or whose faiths are different than ours, for sure. Uh, so it sticks sta- stands out to me, maybe, uh, that uh, I don't know. I don't know a lot of Reformed people who are as curious as you are, Tr- Tracy. How'd, how'd that happen? Well, I I am reformed, um, perhaps mostly because I live in Southwest Michigan. <laughs> okay, all right. And, and so I am thick in Dutch country, um, not Dutch myself. But uh, I would say, um, again, part of the journey, growing up Southern Baptist, and part of this could have just been um, because of my age, because you know, because of how little reading and exploring I had done up to that point. I was very much, you know, kind of in a Southern Baptist box, if you will. And looking back, I'm not sure. I think God progressively brought me to this reformed tradition because I feel like I have more permission to explore here than I maybe Mm. would have um, in the Southern Baptist tradition personally. Now, a hundred, you know, every person has a different story. So I'm not making a blanket statement by any means. But what I have found is that, for example, um, our church, my local church hired an executive pastor who attended his undergrad, his just college experience was at an ecumenical university. And so we've had such good conversations about um Yes, yes, there's reformed doctrine, but then there's also um, relationships with others who don't have that exact same. And and what I have found too, and I'll be real honest, I am no reformed expert. Um, And and sometimes I'll read something that is supposedly reformed, supposedly Calvin, and I'm like, I don't even know if I believe that. (laughs) Um, so, So no expert here. But what I have found is a local church that has been very, very good for my family. Mm, That's good. And they have allowed me to explore and teach and share and introduce um, different spiritual practices than would maybe traditionally be called reformed with no, no problem. Um, They're, they're very supportive Mm, of me. And so I think that's a lot of why it's a fit. And one more thing comes to mind. I I thought it a couple of times as we've been talking already, what I have found that's interesting is that I'm trying to think of an example. Um, But we can look at communion, probably that that's a pretty easy example there was a time in church history that anyone who was a Christian would have taken communion every Sunday or 
every yeah. gathering, if not every day. Um, mm-hmm. And growing up at the um, in the Southern Baptist tradition, we took it once a quarter. Now we take oh, it wow. every third week <laughs> of the month. And so I, I've seen all of these differences in communion, and I never understood why. And now as I read church history, and I'm I'm pretty geeky about reading church history. I'm trying to catch up right. Um, from all the years I didn't pay any attention to it. And I just read this week, um, that it's hard to track down exactly where the Baptists came from because they were from different parts of Europe. And then you have the Southern Baptists who actually did not form until there were Baptists in America. So it's not that you can point to everyone, but the, the branch that I read about who became Baptists had an individual who decided to make it quarterly, decided to have it four right. times. And so that changed even within the tradition. And that's what I have found to be true too. Um, the Reformed tradition is not, at least in my local church experience, not typically known for having much high church liturgy. And by that, I mean... Um, the reading of confession and particular order to the service that includes um, maybe a lectionary reading of different scripture passages, that kind of stuff. However, the my, again, my friend, the executive pastor uh, sent me an email one day and said, you know, just down the road in Kalamazoo, it's about 30, 35 minutes away oh, from yeah. where my church is. There's a reformed church who is very liturgical and who does more with observing the church calendar. And so again, I realized even within our traditions, you know, it may be, maybe a listener has always been a Methodist. There's a lot of different things that have evolved, changed, been done differently, and continue to be among local um, congregations, even in one tradition. Yep. Yeah, and it strikes me too that a lot of those things while we base them on our understanding of scripture, they're cultural, right? Or they're, mm-hmm. they're traditional. They're not, they're not necessarily what the Bible's trying to tell us, right? Is how we conduct a service or how we treat, treat, isn't the, isn't the thing. It's the relationship with God. The end it's, result. The, it's the, yes. the grace of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and the power in, in that, that is actually what we're actually all about. Um, yeah. Fascinating. I love that. Okay. So a long time ago now, I interrupted you. You were going to tell me about why you started this book, why you wrote this book and where, where you oh, were going. Oh, yeah. So tell, Sorry about that. So go go back. No, no. It's <laughs> This is, it's okay. We're following curiosity today. Yes. So go, go we're ahead. Wandering. And go and, we're wandering. And, yes. So tell us about that. In, in exploring these various church traditions, I found brand new things for me. Um, I paid more attention to the church calendar, which I didn't know existed. <laughs> in my younger years. And I um, purchased a number of formal prayer books and began looking at things like prayer, prayer of the uh, prayers of the hour. I learned um, and typically tied to Catholicism, you could argue it was probably just Christianity when they were developed, but different ways of reading scripture, um, such as uh, Lectio Divina, which is um, reading the same passage repeatedly two, three, four times prayerfully. So for example, um, I, I think it's in this, this book, um, 
a gentleman led us through an exercise reading Psalm 23. And, and some of that, you know, right? Because we've heard, some of us probably have it all memorized. I don't, but I, it's familiar for sure. And so to, to train your ear to read Psalm 23 and just ask God, what's a phrase that you would really like for me to hang on to right now? In, in my circumstances in life right now, what's a message that you might have for me just through a word or two or a phrase? And we don't get that in quite the same way when we're um, mm -hmm. just reading a book of the Bible or when we're, um, you know, studying for academic purposes or for even Bible study, you know, that kind of stuff. So just different ways, even of reading scripture. And as I collected all of this, I shared a lot of it, you know, in blog posts and on social media and I had a hundred million questions, which um, Twitter is very good at um, getting responses for me as, as I kind of piece together um, all the ways that we experience God and all the ways that we find more of Jesus. And that kind of compiled then. Uh, the concept of a book. Originally, I was working, every book has a working title is what they call it. And it's basically, as you're forming the skeleton of it, um, before sometimes you have an editor that further hones in on a marketable title, that kind of stuff. And the working title for this book was Spiritual Toolbox. Oh, nice. And it was kind of talking about, um, and again, and what I love about what I've learned and the freedom to learn it is that I don't have to do it all. Um, you know, we, we fight a lot of legalism, or at least I have. Um, I think evangelicals in, um, in particular can really, you know, the, there's a mental checklist, you know, you go to church, you memorize Awana verses, you, you know, all the things. And it's been very freeing for me to be able to learn about these things and try them and, mm. and what fits, you know, um, in, in my spiritual walk at the time I do, and I learn about, and I appreciate and what doesn't, I might pick up later. Um, the Holy spirit guides that process, uh, so well as you, um, yeah. collect the different well, tools. Did, did you grow up uh, you probably grew up believing in the Holy Spirit, but did you grow up experiencing the Holy Spirit? I still haven't experienced the Holy Spirit, okay. I don't think. Um, well, no, and I say that because another thing that I've discovered is that a person will naturally have a particular kind of worship that's comfortable comfortable for them. Not that that's the only way they can worship, but I, I very naturally matriculate to... Um, to high church and to having an mm -hmm. order to things and to having written words that I can go back and read and digest because I love words and, and writing. And so I have often thought um, I need to branch out more to that, that charismatic yep. to that Pentecostal side. Um, and that's why I, I say jokingly, I'm still not sure I've experienced the Holy spirit, <laughs> not that kind of um, wonder, you know, even uh, yeah. I have a friend that, took a mission trip to Africa and she worshiped in like a three hour service. That was very, very much more charismatic. I don't, I don't have that golden experience yet. And that's okay. I think my, the reason I ask is because I think there's a certain level of belief in the Holy spirit, trust in the Holy spirit when you engage a practice like Lectio, right? 
because as, as you described, you have to go through and say, okay, you have to ask the Lord, what is it that you want to want to share with me? Or what is it that I should be, should be looking at? And sometimes you have to sit and just listen. Uh, so it may look different, right. Than a, than a charismatic handling snakes, walking on speaking tongues, walking on calls, it's kind of, kind of experience, right? It's not, it's not that, but it is a trust in the Holy spirit that to, to be honest. And I, I think we grew up in sort of a similar tradition uh, we were evangelical free, but we believed in the Holy Spirit. But really, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. That's what we believed. Oh. In. We did not. We did not believe yeah. functionally in the Holy Spirit. So I've always been kind of drawn to those things. Although I'm a little mistrustful of the emotionalism too, right? But I. But so, but when mm-hmm. I, when you find a practice like lectio, right, and and there is this sort of simple, let's just listen. Let me just actually trust that I can interact with the Lord in this way that's not in the Bible, but we're using the Bible and we're allowing him to to apply it to our lives. It's a very different experience. I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. And I, um, I've been a believer for, let's say 40 years, give or take. And I have trusted the Holy Spirit in so many other areas of my life right? Like, um, I, I remember trusting him in high school and praying, um, that, that I would be guided to the right college. I remember, you know, from there, uh, gosh, praying over any number of interviews, um, you know, all of these times in your life, as you, uh, mature in your faith that you're asking, you know, at, and it's kind of intertwinable. I mean, I'm, I'm praying to God, but the Holy Spirit's the one inside me guiding the process. Um, that's the, the beauty of the Trinity. And so for me, once I let go of the fear that you mentioned that I was going to be guided incorrectly, the Holy Spirit, I already knew how to listen to him, right? I'd been listening to him in so many other areas of my life. So to switch over and, you know, a simple story too, when I started using the formal prayer books um, and those by what I mean by the formal prayer books are those prayer books compiled by the churches over um, the years, Uh, the book of common prayer, which is formed by the Anglican and Episcopal tradition dates back to the 16th century. So mm-hmm. those kinds of books. So I'm not talking about um, just a Christian author who has um, written down some prayers, but these are actually compiled. And for example, and I'm not going to get the percentage right, but I want to say the book of common prayer is like 90% scripture just pulled from different, you know, different parts, um, right. instead of just reading the book of Matthew, you know, they've put Matthew verses in various prayers. So it, when I was reading that for the, for the first time, and I was with my mom, um, who, you know, still, still attends a Southern Baptist church and was it just read to her something that I was reading. And she said, you know, be careful, <laughs> And what she meant by that was, that's not a Bible sitting on your lap, you know, and so what what are those prayers? Um, But again, as you look at these prayers throughout history, they are biblically sound, and they have often been pulled word for word from scripture. Um, 
And I would say too, I've had to get to know church tradition a little better. Um, mm-hmm. because, because like you said, I was always taught any, anything outside of scripture is extra, but what I find is we all have extra, you know, um, I loved still love have it in my office, my Baptist hymnal. It was olive green and page one had <laughs> holy, holy, holy in it. And I love those hymns <laughs> and they formed me too, but they're extra. You know, and like you, you pointed to the cultural aspect, um, yep. you know, my, my daughter doesn't know those hymns as well as I did, which leaves me a little sad, but there will be other things in her life that um, the, the culture, church culture, um, world culture offers us a few things too, but um, church culture I'm yep. speaking of specifically, it doesn't look the exact same as it did when I was growing up. Um, so I, I think you know, nothing that I practice or that I read goes against scripture, you know, and and I think, again, we're, we're looking at, you know, foundational things that are in place that don't, don't change. Um, But then, yeah, lots and lots of pieces that, uh, that enhance. Right. Yeah. I really think this is one of those areas where the um, admonition that whatever is not done in faith is sin, but what you do in faith is, I don't know if it, if it gives the positive side of that, but you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, okay, you're, you're engaging this you're, in order to engage the Lord. It's, it's okay. Right. And that was not what I would grow up thinking. It so it took a long time for me as well to kind of get out outside of that. Um, and often it's the first place to go is to those, um, either formal prayers or, you know, outside of your denomination mm-hmm. to one that's closely related, or even for me, it was, I found Lectio in the Catholic, you know, uh, with a spiritual director who was a Jesuit. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was. And if it, great. if it helps um, at the end of the day, we all were Catholic. <laughs> we all were, um, you know, that those, those earliest Baptists that I referenced earlier um, came from the Catholic tradition and that history will break your heart. I mean, I am not in any way belittling um, what, what they fought for and the um, unbiblicalness that, that they saw there were, there's always things in the church to be corrected. Um, But gosh, we have so much in common and we have so many, you know, I mean, so far we've only talked about, um, you, you know, mainly the cat, the Catholics, what the Orthodox have, have yes. taught me, um, in this whole East, like, honestly, I was like, Oh, wow. There was Christianity on the East too. I never, you know, <laughs> thought right. about that. And, and they developed their whole, uh, a whole different culture away, um, in all of these different places of practicing Christianity. And then, um, I, I open up the book, um, with a section on silence, because I, I think that's a really good step forward for this, um, whole process. Yeah. And I turn to the Quakers because nobody teaches us better about silence than the Quakers do. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, you know, in each tradition you look at, there's, treasure to unearth in, um, you know, I mean, the, the Mennonites are running through my mind now and they, they're not much in the, they're not heavy in the book, but what they taught us, um, you know, about, uh, the, the role of government in, in our lives and pacifism. And yeah, just, um, 
it's endless. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, man, certainly, certainly fascinating. Okay, so you reminded me of something I listened to a long time ago. Now it feels like, but I I loved it. It was a book called Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy. Actually, I didn't listen to the book. He had a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. Andrew Stephen Domic, and I don't, I don't know him, uh, <laughs> so I don't know anything about him. But I love he goes through church history and he discusses all of the, the different traditions from an Orthodox perspective. So mostly he's saying what he doesn't like about why they were inadequate or why you know why why they're not Orthodox, right? But um, it was really interesting to hear some of that, and then to hear, particularly when he gets to the Reformation and some of the things, you know, some of the evangelical traditions that I've, that I've been part of and studied and hear some of those critiques and go, Oh, I've had that. I've said that. <laughs> like, okay, I'm not alone. Right. This is, yeah. it was very interesting to, to have that affirmation from a different tradition. It was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I love that silence. I love silence. Also, um, we're so inundated in a world where you can be endlessly entertained and endlessly, you know, the scrolling never stops, right? Mm-hmm. You can, mm-hmm. you can just keep going now. How many decades or how, how long, how, how many years has Twitter been out there? It's uh, you could scroll for a long time before you got to the yeah. end of it, right? Yeah. And then update. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I would even say what, what I have found personally is even my quiet time wasn't silent. <laughs> it, yeah. Okay. Talk about that yeah. because that's powerful. Yeah. What I mean by that is you know, how, how many of us get in the car, even if you're listening to worship songs, the second you're in the car that comes on. Um, now we've added podcasts to this world. And so, um, to this car world. And so now if you don't feel like listening to music, just go ahead and put it, you know, and, and again, it can be a good solid Christian podcast, but it's noise. And then, um, you know, my quiet time, in the past would consist of, you know, reading a scripture passage or reading a devotional that ended in a prayer that I, you know, would read through. Um, when I was talking to God, if it got quiet, then I, you know, was distracted and did, I didn't even know how to listen to him sometimes, not, not in the silence. Um, and so that has been a trained, um, spiritual practice for me, for sure. And I, you know, I, I live um, in a country setting and out here is typically pretty quiet. And so when I'm at home, I'm able to foster silence pretty well and leave the radio off, leave the TV off. Um, You know, God and I take walks, that kind of thing. And as I was writing about it, you know, you're always considering readers of every stage, walk of life, place, et cetera. And um, I, I won't say his name correctly, but Rich Velodas, Velodas. Oh, uh, I know who you're yes. talking about. Yeah. He had a book um, that I quoted in mine called The Deeply Formed Life. And he, yeah. at the time, Rich lived in, um, gosh, I want to say Harlem. I might be wrong. He lived in the heart of New York City. And his world was crazy noisy. And so in one of the very first chapters, I quote him in, in his realization that silence isn't just the lack of noise. There's something internally that happens that quiets you too. And again, the Quakers mm. are super good at that. 
um, just quieting your mind and your heart and your spirit to receive. And I didn't know how to do that very well. How did you learn how to do that? Um, visiting other other church traditions actually got me started. I think that's when I realized I was really, really thirsty for that. Um, my opening story and not all who wander spiritually are lost tells about attending an Ash Wednesday service. And part of that service, it, it was in the Catholic tradition. And part of that service was that the priest would walk in silence with the ashes to the front and, you know, kind of present them at the altar. There were just these moments of silence um, dispersed throughout that whole service. And they left me weeping, <laughs> partly because wow. I'm like, wow, I've never been to National Wednesday. Like it was all an emotional charge anyway. Um, and the priests talked to me at the beginning, which totally threw me off. So there, I just really, you know, one of those experiences I look back on and think, um, unbeatable just the the lord just walked really close with me that that day in that service but that i was like you know why am i weeping i want to you know kind of explore that and then not too much of a different experience but was attending a little methodist church that's in my tiny town and again, after collecting the offering. So they pass the plates, just traditional. And after collecting the offering, that pastor walked forward down the aisle and presented, you know, so the, just these glimpses and moments of corporate silence. Mm -hmm. And then um, in writing about that, a gentleman by the name of Brent Bill, who is a Quaker pastor, reached out to me and said, hey, I have a book, you know, that I would like to send you. If, if you're open to learning more about silence and Brent's book is also quoted in my shaky ground book. And it really got to the heart of what it's like to create a lifestyle of silence, what it's like to have intentional moments of silence. And then from there, much like you um, started reading about all of these different prayerful ways to read scripture um, the, I, if I remember correctly, it's the, um, Benedictines who will read the Psalms and take very long intentional breaks in between the lines. So you might say the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I shall not want. And then, yeah. you know, for me, I'm like, did he forget? Did, they, did the mic not work? You know what? <laughs> but that's, that's their rhythm, right? That's the rhythm that they're creating. And I've tried to create some of that in my personal life as well. Man, I love that. All right. I'm hoping I get to interview uh, Richard Foster someday. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> he has a book coming out next year. He does. Yeah, I, I, I just saw I've, that. I've, uh, love him. I've already reached out to the publicist, so. mm -hmm. <laughs> but because he's a quick, right. Cause I learned so much of that stuff. Yeah, from they're him, so good at right? it. From, so good at it. From, uh, his, his kind of, <clears throat> kind of thing. Um, man, I think that's so great. Silence is so good. We have, a so my experience with silence is we have a, that Jesuit retreat house mm -hmm. nearby us that I go to and I've been for a while, maybe a year or so, but it is the best because you show up and nobody will talk to you. Right. It's just, there's no, yeah. like it, it really is a space cultivated for silence. Uh, you can have a director if you want, but even at mealtimes, you get your food, 
and you go sit down away from somebody else and you just, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You don't worry about anything. There's no responsibility. You just go put your phone away and you can just be for a little while. And there's, there's some real value to just sitting and letting, letting the Lord or letting yourself just breathe, right? Just be, just be there. Yeah. I had a lot without, without having to consume. I had a lot of, uh, I don't know if fun's the right word. It was fun for me a lot. It was interesting to me to write about what that might look like in our churches. Because mm. again, um, in my church, and it's very contemporary, the music is playing when you get there. Then there's a voice that says, you know, two minutes before we start. And then once we start, we sing a song. Um, usually anytime a prayer is being offered, there's kind of a instrumental music underneath that. I mean, when you, when I stopped and paid attention, the only time quiet would happen in my church is if someone missed their cue, right? (laughs) And and it would be awkward. And the few times that we've tried to implement like silent prayer, you know, some very spiritual things, it's awkward (laughs) because we're not, you, we we don't know what to do in that. And so that was um, a big piece of my section in the book on silence as well is, Mm. and really all of the book has this drive towards anything I do as an individual or learn about should help the corporate good, whether that be um, the larger church around the world, or whether it be my local community, whether it be the Bible study um, that I teach, whether it be the family that I minister to, um, you, you don't do anything in the spiritual realm that doesn't pour out, um, on others. And so that that's kind of a thread that travels throughout the book too, because I think we can forget that, you know, we emphasize the personal relationship with Jesus so much that we forget that really we're the body of Christ. Yes. Wow. So you, you are being formed, right? And you're being formed by these practices and by all these things. And then of course, your presence, I think we don't have a good theology of presence, of personal presence, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps, but your presence then forms others, right? Yeah. In so many ways, you know, um, know spoken and unspoken, seen and unseen for sure. For sure. Yeah. And and Mm -hmm. at one point, um, you know, I'm talking about the silence that I have found here in my home and a particular time when I needed healing and how much silence helped with that process. And I remember, I still remember, you know, when when you're writing, sometimes things will bubble up and it's on paper and then you're like, oh, I wrote that, you know, that's that it's not, it's not like you fully think it out before you write it's that's part of the process and i typed yep. a sentence that said imagine if we all walked around as deeply healed people mm. it, wow and that's that's part of um what these spiritual practices do and they won't do it and you know you can't try it for three days and then you're like good i'm a whole different person now um sometimes we don't even recognize the differences that happen in us. Other people might see it and point it out to us. But again, a hundred percent trusting that that's how the Holy Spirit works, um, that, that that's what God actively wants to do in our life. And that's why we have Jesus. Man, I love that. Yeah. Okay. So relate that all back because the subtitle of your book is what to do after the bottom drops out. And I think you're not alone or others. I, I think this is a huge issue right now, right? I'm seeing people 
discuss it. People criticize the deconstruction or whatever you want to call it, but it's a reality for a whole lot of people looking at the church going, I don't want to be part of that anymore. Mm-hmm. How, how do these practices help? Well, a broad answer, a broad stroke to that answer is these, these practices help because they come from a wider church. And that would be my broad stroke answer to anyone who says, I don't know if I can go to my church anymore. Good <laughs> or not good, bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. But have you sat in silence with the Quakers? Have you snuck into mass and just let the liturgy wash over you instead of feeling like you have to be on the worship team? You know, um, doing something radically different in your church walk might be just the thing to shake it up in a healthy way. Um, And now in a more um, pointed way, I would say that these practices are universal for Christians. Um, and so it doesn't, you don't have to do them because you're X, Y, Z tradition. And so if you're frustrated with X, Y, Z tradition, or even if you're at a point where you can't go to church anymore, these are Christian practices. And I would go, I, you know, early on in the book, I, um, qualified what I meant by, by Christian, you know, someone who has, um, accepted Christ as Lord and King uh, of their life, who, um, believes in the, uh, full gospel preaching and teaching of, of Jesus Christ, but a Jewish person has prayer and certainly the old Testament study of, of scripture. And so I do think if, if you look in between the lines, spiritual practices can apply to even other faith traditions. Um, So I I say all of that to encourage individuals who think I can't sit in one more church service at my church. I can't do it politically. um, Maybe I'm mad about, you know, the response to COVID a hundred reasons that the enemy has thrown at us for, um, the deconstruction for the disillusionment. Um, and my response to that would be, these are Christian. These are ways to Jesus. Mm. There, no one owns them. No one tradition, um, you know, can, can say, well, if you're doing that, then you're Catholic, you know, these are, um, right. Christian. (laughs) Fascinating. So again, the book is called Shaky Ground, What to Do After the Bottom Drops Out. Tracy, I really appreciate all of these things, these these um, just encouragement to embrace the traditions, embrace where, where you are. What uh, is there anything that you want to leave us with? I I know, like you mentioned Richard Foster earlier. And he wrote an excellent book called The Celebration of Dis- Celebration of Discipline, right? Um, Love that book. And, and interestingly enough, I didn't quote it. Sorry, Richard, because um, <laughs> I read it. I've read it. I've underlined it, um, have my own copy. And it certainly formed some of the concepts 
of this book. And I actually looked to make sure that we didn't have the exact same chapters um, because spiritual practices. Um, But what I found as I wrote this book that surprised me um, and that I think makes it a little different offset from what Foster offered so well is the tie, I call them gifts of the church and how those can become spiritual practices in our life too. And one example of that is towards the very back of the book, I introduce the idea of catechisms and catechisms are, um, ancient teachings that Christians would use to, to teach converts to Christianity. And then once Christianity was old enough to have, um, children in the church to teach them the basic foundational truths of the church. And many traditions have their catechisms. The reformed tradition has the Heidelberg catechism, um, so named because of where it was written. And there is a famous, across most traditions, scholars and many pastors would know Heidelberg catechism question and answer one which I don't have fully memorized, but the question is, what is my only comfort in life and in death? And the first part of the answer that I do know is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beautifully, so beautifully written. Um, to me, the words almost feel anointed, um, not quite to the brevity of scripture, but um, beautiful, beautiful phrase. And it has become, like I say, um, quite popular among different traditions. I did an interview last couple weeks ago with an Episcopalian priest, and he goes, thank you for reminding me of, mm. of that question and answer, because I hadn't come across it in some time, and it is beautiful. But what happened that I shared in the book that I feel like made it a spiritual practice is that my pastor and I were talking about this book and what different topics were going to be discussed. And he got, got this far away look in his eye. And he was like, you know, I'm not, I'm going to show you a side of me now that you probably haven't really seen before. He goes, but there are times that I will go up to an older, it's usually an older person um, from an older generation and they are um, sick or even on their deathbed and he will reach an arm around their head, get really close to the pillow and he will whisper, what's my only comfort in life Mm. and in death? That I and he will repeat that catechism that they have learned since they were tiny. Um, that many of them heard their grandparents from the Netherlands say, um, Dutch country, right? I told you. Um, yep. And I thought instantly when he told me that story, I thought that's a spiritual practice too. Totally. And the hymns that I have learned, um, that you know, whenever, uh, I share a story in the book about a time my daughter broke her arm and we were rushing to the emergency room and amazing grace was on my lips unbidden. Right. That's, yeah. you know, and so, um, these spiritual practices, and I think this gets at the heart of the book and why it's so important when we have shaky ground, um, when the bottom drops out, there's a faith 
inside of us that is almost our second nature. You know, we, we've been practicing it for so long and we've um, saying and heard these scripture passages or, you know, heard these catechism question and answers, whatever it might be for you so long and so often that almost when we can't even form thoughts because things are scary and grief has come upon us or we're fearful or we got news that we never thought we would get and these things bubble up and if you don't um if you don't have them in your life or you're always so your world never gets quiet enough to pay any attention to them then that's shaky ground indeed yeah yeah absolutely wow I love that. Okay. One thing you mentioned to me also is that both of your books are good for group discussion. And and so, so do you want to say something about that? Yeah. Just real briefly. I, I feel like, you know, you hear the phrase as an author, if you don't find a book that you, that you think would be good, that you would like to read, then write it. <laughs> um, yeah. And so what I have done with both of these books is um, uh, I am very supportive of and passionate about getting to know the greater church. I call it capital C church, getting to know the greater church. And I know I come across many, many people who are like, I I would like to do that too. I do think that's important. I hear it again and again. I think that's an important message, but there aren't a lot of resources out there to do that per se, you know, even to find a commentary that is really um, supportive of various church traditions can be difficult. And so that that was the intentional focus of both of these books to um, present to you uh, Catholics and Amish and Orthodox and Lutheran. Um, and you'll find, you'll find that in here. Um, in the first book in particular, I spent a lot of time pointing out the people, not necessarily in my local church, but just in my life, who were other church traditions. Um, My best friend in high school was Catholic. And what, you know, that, what those conversations can look like and what we can learn from one another. I love it. And so both very intentionally set up for that. Yeah. So friends, maybe, maybe shaky ground or not all who wander are lost. would be a great, um, would be a great discussion book for your next Bible study or your next group discussion. Uh, would love to have you get that. It, they're both available on uh, Amazon, right? You can mm-hmm. get it. Uh, you can go, your website is Traces of Faith, which I think is, is great as well. Traces of Faith.com. Is that right? Yep. And uh, so friends, you can find Tracy there. And as always, uh, halfwaythepodcast.com. I've got all the links so you can go find it. Just go check that out as well. Tracy, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, Eric, I I always enjoy speaking with you. So thanks for the opportunity. 